Hey everyone, and welcome to the Spooniepreneur Podcast. I'm Nicole Muir, an ex-social worker turned CEO of a virtual support agency. My passion is helping those of us living with chronic illness to see how entrepreneurship can help us pay the bills, find a sense of purpose, and build a flexible life that allows us to balance it all. On this podcast, I'm talking with business owners from all walks of life to learn how they're running their businesses. I'm also going to take you behind the scenes into how I run a six-figure business while living with fibromyalgia, bipolar disorder, irritable bowel syndrome, and anxiety. If you are a spooniepreneur or thinking about starting a business, you are in the right place. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Spooniepreneur podcast. On today's episode, we're having a honest discussion about what it looks like to advocate for yourself and your healthcare. It's something that every Spoonie or every loved one of a Spoonie has to deal with at some point in their illness journey. And I invited Allison Hayes back to the show to talk with us about this because she has amazing insight into what it looks like to navigate the healthcare system in the United States. Allison has built an amazing website called Thriving While Disabled, which is a blog that helps people live their best possible life with a disability. She talks about everything from the U.S. healthcare system to mindset management, and she's an amazing resource for people who are trying to navigate the system, which if you're in the United States can be really confusing and more than a little frustrating. So with that said, let's just dive right into our conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Spooniepreneur podcast. I am sitting here with Allison Hayes. She's been on the show before, but Allison, just remind us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing in the world. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Allison Hayes, and I run the um, website blog, Thriving While Disabled. And I'm all about creating your best possible life while living with a disability. I have a condition called functional neurological disorder. And actually, my inspiration for creating my blog wasn't just me. It was also my partner, um, Al, who has, it turns out, has uh, autoimmune pernicious anemia. And we found this out by him shattering his hip a few years ago. Yeah. Yikes. So, yeah, literally what he broke was his acetabellum, which is the biggest bone in your body. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, you know, when you feel your hip, that bone, that's what he broke. So it was very impressive. Uh, his motto is go big or go home. And that was a big joke about everything because uh, he never broke a bone in his life. And then he broke the biggest one that's not supposed to break. Right. (laughs) So that was actually the push that I had uh, helping him through all of his medical journey to get a diagnosis. That was the push to create my create uh, my blog in large part because I was using all of these skills I had that I didn't realize or recognize as skills. It was just what you do. And as I'm, you know, figuring out what hospital to take him to, as I'm negotiating to find the right doctors, as I'm going, helping him through all of this stuff, he's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. How do you do that? I don't, you know, I don't understand how you can handle this. 
And he pointed out to me, it is a skill and it is a talent and it is something a lot of people don't have. And that's what got me to go, okay, I guess I should blog about this and I should do something to help others understand and use the systems because, you know, it is such a mess and wow, I I know how to do this. (laughs) Cool. Right. So, and, and I love that we're having this conversation because one thing that you and I have talked about is how important it is to do your research, be the advocate for yourself and your healthcare journey, how to like show up to your doctor's appointments and know, you know, what questions you're going to ask and things like that. So let's talk through some of those skills that you have that you teach people on your blog. Like I want to pick your brain. Like if somebody is still say searching for a diagnosis, yes. Um, you know, I, we all go down that Google like hole of like, oh my gosh, like I think I have cancer and I'm dying kind of, you know, thing, but how do we effectively research what's going on so that we can show up to that appointment kind of asking the best questions? Okay. So there's a few different pieces to it. The first is I highly recommend not doing detail, not doing symptom searches, (laughs) <laughs> right. right. You know, just all you're going to do with that is stress yourself out. Mm-hmm. And if somehow you happen to be right, you're going to need that energy to deal with it. But if you're wrong, you just wasted a lot of energy on worrying about something that you don't have and is not an issue. Mm-hmm. So to start, it's about having a quality uh, primary care physician who can help guide you to the right doctors. And have a quality specialist who can give you actual useful answers Mm -hmm. that will narrow it down so that you'll have only a couple of conditions to research. Because once you've got like one to three things going on, then it's okay to research that and really do a deep dive and understand what it is and how it works and how closely it aligns with your experience. Because that's really... That's really one of the most important things. Can I, because here's the way I look at it. Your doctor is the expert in the way that bodies go wrong. Mm -hmm. You are the expert in your body, how your body has worked and how your body has gone wrong. And the goal isn't for the doctor to magically tell you what's going on. The goal is for you and the doctor to combine your expertise so that together you find a diagnosis that actually fits all of your symptoms and that matches your experience enough that you look at it and go, yes, that fits. You and your doctor are solving a puzzle together and they're making suggestions but you're the only one who can affirm that the diagnosis is correct or point out the inconsistencies of the story the doctor is trying to sell you. I love how you frame it as you're equal because I think a lot of people and myself included at, at points in my journey, you walk in and you just like, you want the doctor to have the answers. Like you want them to be the expert. They, you want them to tell you exactly what's going on and what is going to happen to fix it. Yep. Um, 
And it isn't really, I think, until you make that shift of like, no, I'm the expert on my body and you can say something, but if it doesn't feel right, I'm allowed to say that doesn't feel right. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's uh, the doctor isn't in your head. The doctor isn't in your body. So they can only guess based on what you tell them. So part of your job is to be really good at communicating what is wrong in your body, in your brain, in your experience. That's your job, to really understand it as deeply as possible, to be able to explain it, to be able to communicate it to your doctor. Your doctor's job is to interpret that information and give you a possible or probable diagnosis and a way to confirm or deny the diagnosis. And eventually there is a point where it's just, you know, you either accepting or denying it, Mm -hmm. but the doctor can't make you accept it. Yeah. And your job is to look at the information. And if there's a, if you don't like your diagnosis, that's, you know, Nobody wants to be diagnosed with with a serious cancer. Nobody wants to be diagnosed with a condition that's progressive and deadly. You know, you don't want that. But if all everything fits, mm-hmm. well, then you have to accept it. Mm-hmm. Which and is its, its a, own process, right? Oh, exactly. And so you, your job isn't to find the diagnosis you like. It's to find the diagnosis that fits. Mm-hmm. And that can be painful too. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, your job is when the doctor gives you a suggestion that fits to process it, to accept it, and to take it on as your responsibility to treat it right. Right. And I think that's where, you know, I like that you say the doctor can help you. you in the beginning stages kind of they're they're like well it could be this or it could be that mm-hmm. right for me it was it could be ms it could be multiple sclerosis or it could be fibromyalgia so we're okay. going to like you know we're going and then that's when i go out and say okay so what about ms fits what about fibromyalgia fits like mm-hmm. but like you but like you said you know you have the choice of whether you when they came back and they were like, no, definitively, it's not a mess. It's fibromyalgia. I had the choice of saying, oh, I agree with that. Or, oh, no, I want like five more tests. Right. And it's your prerogative to do either. Correct. But, you know. Right. But there's, you know, but the more definitively they can show you why it is or isn't mm-hmm. that, there is a point where you just have to accept the evidence and be like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Right. So like. um, you know, um, for me, for my FND diagnosis, at the time of my diagnosis, there were no accepted tests to confirm the diagnosis. For a lot of doctors, it was a diagnosis of exclusion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, they put me through an MRI and okay, they can't see anything broken. Cool. Maybe it's you know, maybe it's FND, maybe it's this other stuff. They didn't even come up with it. At the time, it was called conversion disorder. That's another story. Um, but I was convinced of my diagnosis. The first time I actually heard conversion disorder, 
because the neurologist I talked to was a movement disorder specialist who was aware of the condition. And the way he put it to me was he was like, I'm seeing your symptoms and they don't fit any other model of movement disorder. It's not tics. It's not seizures. It's not, you know, and he ran down the whole list and was like, it doesn't fit any of these categories. And the condition I know of that fits, that that you fit is conversion disorder because it is so very stress responsive because it's not the same motions. It's, you know, it's its own unique thing and it's so inconsistent <laughs> that I am 99.9% sure that that's what you have. He didn't do any extra tests, but he had the expertise to be able to knock out all of the other possibilities in that one conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I could accept that diagnosis. Um, uh, for my partner, Al, the first diagnosis was really simple. He shattered his acetabellum. Right. They found it on an x-ray. That actually took several hours because it's such a rare break. They're not used to looking for it. <laughs> right. Um, basically, it's the kind of thing that normally happens to somebody if they um, fall more than five stories off a building or if they're in a head-on collision. Right. And Al was walking quickly to catch a light rail and slipped. Wow. Um, but And also, he couldn't unbend his leg. So the x-ray was taken at a weird angle mm. because of the whole, you know, the joint was broken. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but they had one x-ray that showed the break. And finally, they're like, yeah, he, he that's what happened. He, he broke his acetabellum. But then we spent a year trying to find out why it broke. And the first answer of he has osteoporosis only raised more questions. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Since osteoporosis is something you generally, you know, attribute to much older women, and right. it does happen in men, but generally osteoporosis is um, either associated with postmenopause in women or with some kind of genetic predisposition and with older age. And so mm-hmm. it's like, okay. He's 38 <laughs> right, and has appeared to be completely healthy his whole life. Yeah. yeah. What happened? And we had to see, uh, we, ended up, we ended up going through two different endocrinologists to come close to a suggested answer. Um, and like I said, it took us quite a while to get through the whole thing, but... I was able to make sure we found the right people and got the right information and fired the right people. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk about firing people yes. because it's a phrase that you and I both use. Like yes. I've, I've fired specialists. Oh yeah. Um, can we talk about being the boss of your own healthcare? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So the first thing is in all honesty, being the boss of your own healthcare 
doesn't start with seeing the doctor. Mm -hmm. It starts with selecting your insurance. Oh, girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yeah. You want to find the best possible insurance plan for you. And if you're dealing with a chronic condition, it's almost always cheaper to pay more per month Mm -hmm. and take a plan that has that lower deductible and higher. um, Oh my God. The word just um, the higher monthly premium. That's the The premium. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's almost always better to take the higher premium and the lower deductible if you are dealing with a chronic condition, because you're going to be going to the doctor. That's not a question. That's not a possibility. That's a guarantee. Sure. Yeah. So the first thing is when you look at your options for medical care, pick the one with the higher premium because that's going to give you more services and fewer unexpected costs. Mm-hmm. It still can be bad. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's less when you're paying more up front. And if you know you're going to be using the services and you know you're going to be seeing people, good rule of thumb, take the higher premium because you're probably going to be paying less in the long term. Mm -hmm. If you have, and also that way you've invested ahead of time. And so you have more psychologically of a push to actually go see the doctors. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, you've already invested all this money in your health care. Yeah. So just pay that little extra of whatever the deductible is or whatever the copay is, because you already put most of the money in. Yep. And that's a powerful tool, too. If you are reluctant to see doctors, you make that one decision ahead of time and all of your appointments are going to be cheaper this year than they would be otherwise. Mm -hmm. So do all the appointments. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, I actually this year um, made the choice of investing in a much um, more expensive medication plan than I usually Mm do. Specifically so I can try out uh, some new migraine treatments. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've been dealing with migraines for a couple of years now and had basically had a constant headache mm-hmm. um, for a year and a half. And I finally had, you know, a few hours or a day or so at a time where I don't have a headache because I'm trying new medications that are extremely expensive, but with my expensive plan, they're much, much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Last year, it would have cost me $315 to try out the injection I've got. This year, it's 40 bucks. Right. <laughs> so, yep. You know, and yeah. yes, I was paying more per month, but it's $100 a month. And so I'm paying $140 instead of $350. Right. Still a deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and for me... I have a high deductible plan, but I also have a a health savings account Mm -hmm. because I have found like you and I were talking before we hopped on. 
I have an amazing psychiatrist, but I, I pay for her out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So if I have a health savings plan, then that's tax-free money and I can use to pay for my therapy and for my psychiatrist and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is, it's taking the time to research the different plans, oh, the absolutely. different options, like what's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that's most challenging for me is, you know, I don't have a partner to have health insurance. Like mm-hmm. I have to pay for it out of my pocket. And so it's like, how can we make the best decisions and be realistic about it? I think that that's yes. another thing. <laughs> like, oh, realistically, what do I need? Right. And like, yeah, the, the, the pick the higher premium is a good rule of thumb for anybody, but definitely the more you can research, the better, because there's mm-hmm. often, depending on your situation, there might be quite a few plans to choose among. Exactly. So like, yep. so like I mean, um, I am on Medicare because I'm on SSDI. Right. So I stick with... And I strongly encourage anybody else on Medicare to do this too. I stick with original Medicare mm-hmm. because there's Medicare Advantage programs. And the deal is they're bordering on being a scam mm-hmm. because they actually have a much, much lim- more limited range of potential service providers mm-hmm. than original Medicare. Almost everybody accepts original Medicare. Like just if they're a doctor and they are willing to treat people over 65, they're going to take Medicare. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's just how that works. Um, but most of the Medicare Advantage programs, what they actually are is they're these mini HMOs. Mm-hmm. The health maintenance organizations, which are kind of on your on your options, they're generally one of the worst options because you can't see anybody who's out of network. You just right. can't. Yeah. And so that means if you found a really awesome doctor and they're not in network, you the only option is to pay out of pocket for 100%. Right. Or change your insurance next year and see them then, you know? <laughs> but yeah, let's be real. Yeah. Let's be real. That's how it's going to work. <laughs> but, you know, that's a problem where Medicare, the downside is it covers 80% of your bill. So there's always a residual 20%. Mm-hmm. But I'd much rather pay 80% and see whoever I want than have 100% covered. I mean, I'd rather pay 20% and see whoever I want than be fully covered for a bunch of doctors I have no interest in seeing. Right. So I, it's one of those things for some people, an HMO may feel more comfortable because you have limited options and that's comforting in some ways, Mm -hmm. at least if your doctor's in network, but just be very aware that the way that they market it is misleading to be really kind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The other thing they usually sell themselves as is they provide uh, vision and dental coverage. Unless you have really severe vision or dental needs, it's not worth having. Um, Because basically, if the main thing you need is a teeth cleaning, that's going to cost you $1 to $200. You do it annually. There you go, $200 out of pocket. 
That's mm-hmm. not that bad a cost. Uh, for vision, uh, you can actually see an ophthalmologist, and that's covered under Medicare, and they can write your prescription for your glasses. You do have to pay for the glasses out of pocket, but you most vision plans only pay $100 towards your glasses, and sometimes right. that's every two years. So... Again, that's $100, $200, which is usually about what these plans will cost in a standard package. So unless you have some major needs, which they may not cover anyway, right. <laughs> that vision and dental package thing is really not quite so worth it. Right. Um, and I just want to make that clear because... Even friends of mine are like, yeah, I'm doing the the Medicare Advantage because they, you know, they sold me on it or it sounds like a good plan. And I cringe every time I hear it because I'm like, wow, you just cut your options in half. Mm -hmm. That's what you did. Um, The other part is the big expensive bills that people are most worried about uh, tend to be hospital bills. And if you're low income, you usually can get some form of charity care and have most or all of that expense forgiven as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a bad financial situation, don't worry too much about that 20% that's left over because the big scary stuff, if you're that low income, is going to be taken away anyway if you just apply to the hospital for extra help. Mm-hmm. And the regular 20% is really about a copay cost, maybe a little more, mm-hmm. depending on your insurance coverage. Like my, neuro- my neurologist visits are 20 to $40 for me out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, my partner's uh, insurance, the copay to see a specialist is 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. So it's not that much. It's not that big a loss. If you're, you know, if you're dealing with those kinds of things, and I actually have posts, I have posts that I wrote on my blog specifically about Medicare. <laughs> I actually called it Medicare disadvantage <laughs> for precisely these reasons. Right. Um, and a post about, um, like, I have a couple of posts about choosing your healthcare plan because mm-hmm. it is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner gets insurance through his employer. He only has two options. And we went over his two options and I'm like, yes, you're going for the plan with the higher premium. And, you know, we went over why. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. right. <laughs> you know, it's going to cost us an extra, you know, five, you know, like $500 for the year, but it's going to save us at least $200 just quick back of the envelope calculations. And if anything goes wrong, there you right. go. We're much better right. off. <laughs> right. So you put that information together and just go with it. So like, that's the first thing. Um, and right when something happens, no, you might not be able to change your insurance. Though sometimes you can, uh, if it's considering a considered a life altering event, you can usually um, get permission to change your insurance right then and there. Mm-hmm. So that would be things like, Losing a job, getting a new job, having a baby, um, a death in the family of like somebody who's associated mm-hmm. with your insurance. Right. 
all of those kinds of things are, um, I can't remember the correct term, but I would consider it a life altering event Mm -hmm. and it impacts your insurance and you can change your insurance usually within a month or two of that event happening. And you just have to say, Hey, this happened. And like the affordable care act, for example, if you need to get on it, you can get on it if you've had that life altering event. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a good thing to keep in mind, too, because usually why are we changing our insurance in the middle of the year? Because something really big happened. Right. So it's worth investigating if you just had something big happen, adjusting your insurance Mm -hmm. and picking a new plan because of that life altering event. Mm -hmm. Again, diagnosis may or may not count, but it's worth investigating. Mm -hmm. Um, once, you know, assuming you've got the best plan you can have at the moment, then it's about picking the right doctors, Mm, which is an odyssey for everybody. Absolutely. I think everybody has that one story of like, I had this doctor and he just didn't get it. And it was like, nope. Oh yeah. I've got quite a few of those. I do too. (laughs) Yes. More than one doctor. Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, and some of them I learned in the first visit, most of them I was too stubborn and it took me a few visits. Right. Uh, I've, I've learned to be quicker about that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the picking the doctor is the next important thing. You do want to pick from within your plan whenever possible. Yeah. Because it's much more expensive to go outside your plan. Um, even if you can see out-of-network providers, it's always more expensive than seeing in-network providers. But you always want the option, whenever possible, of seeing somebody out-of-network because especially if you're trying to get a complicated diagnosis and you hear about that one specialist who really, really knows their stuff, mm-hmm. you want to see them, yeah. whether in-network or not. Yeah. You're like, just take my money. I want to go see you. Exactly. And if if your insurance program lets you go out of network, you're not paying the full bill. Right. Which is helpful. (laughs) Yeah. So like that's the next big part of this. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. finding and the other part about your doctor search is talk to friends, talk to family, but also... Dig into the groups that other people with your condition are part of. I think this is so important because now with social media, Mm -hmm. you know, you can look at the right hashtag on Instagram, you can find the right Facebook group, and then there's a wealth of information of people just wanting to say, oh, I had this specialist. I live in the same state as you. They were great. Mm -hmm. Like that's where it comes into like doing your research, right? Absolutely. And I actually just literally just did a post on this last week Mm -hmm. and that using the social groups and what to look out for when you join a group um, because all the groups are different and have different personalities leading them and have different goals. And so you're going to want to join a group that's focused on science-based research that's focused on um, quality information sharing, 
that's accepting and open and friendly, especially for people with minority identities. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, there's some groups in there that might be racist. There are some groups in there that may be sexist. There are some groups in there that may have and there, all kinds of different. And there are some groups that are just so overwhelmingly negative. Yes. Like there's some groups you go in and it's just people talking about like worst case scenarios, like all yep. the time. And it can be damaging for your mental health to go into some of those groups. So you oh, have absolutely. to be kind of discerning. Right. And you and so the goal in this is to find a group of people who are focused on the science, who are looking at art, like research articles and things like that, mm-hmm. who are actively trying to improve themselves um, and who are looking for the hope, are looking for that next step. And they may share bad days or worst case scenarios, but that's not the primary thing in the group. Yes. So, you know. You do want to proceed with some caution in this. I mean, groups like this is also why, you know, some people are trying to feed their autistic kids bleach, you know? Right. There's a lot of potential for misinformation and disinformation out there, too. Um, And that's why anything that's shared in these kinds of groups, first of all, you want to find the group that feels quality, but you also want to double check what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And. But this is a space where you're going to find the possibilities. You're going to find the breadcrumbs. You're going to find the suggestions. You might find somebody in your state who's seen the right person, mm-hmm. things like that. So I highly recommend looking for the right hashtag, the right group, the right, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But as with any social group, proceed with some caution. Right. And you probably want to go in there and lurk for a little while before you introduce yourself mm-hmm. just so you can get an idea of what this, the, the, the climate of the spaces, um, what their culture is. Um, because yeah, some of those cultures are wonderful and supportive and some of them are toxic yeah. <laughs> and y- you've got enough on your plate with your condition. Right. <laughs> you don't need to add to that. But having a group of people who understand that experience. I mean, for many of us, so helpful. it's, and for many of us, like there's nobody in our, in our quote unquote real life that understands. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And so having somebody who's like, oh yeah, I had that, I had that symptom and I tried this and it worked. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time it's not, it's like an easy thing to try mm-hmm. and you can just go out and try it. And it's like, oh yeah, that actually really helped because they get it. And sometimes exactly. that, that shared experience is oh, just yeah. as powerful, if not more powerful than going to the doctor. Absolutely. And it's also really nice to get that affirmation mm-hmm. of, oh, my diagnosis probably is right because these right. people are dealing with the same problems. I am the same challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, that's also where you can find out if it doesn't fit about yes. potential other diagnoses mm-hmm. because there's always people in these groups who thought they had the condition and then got more testing or new information and found out they actually have this other thing. Right. And now you know about other possible diagnoses. So like with FND, um, a lot of people get told that they have FND and they actually have like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or um, Lyme disease, Lyme disease mm-hmm. or vice versa. And so 
by participating in the FND-based groups, I not only learned more about my condition and got more affirmation that it's what it was, but I also heard from people who are misdiagnosed what their misdiagnosis was. Mm -hmm. So if a new people join the group and say, you know, oh, I've been told I have it, but I don't feel like it's right. I don't feel like it fits. Well, here's three other conditions to look into and see if they fit. Right. Or to have your doctor test you for. Yes. So that you can, you know, either confirm or deny, because for too many people, FND is a diagnosis of exclusion, which basically means when the doctor runs out of ideas, yeah. that's what they say you have. Right. It's like same with fibromyalgia. I mean, yeah. they called it diagnosis of exclusion. They're like, oh, well, none of these other things fit. So it's probably just that, which is, I mean, it's its own thing. But I feel like we could talk about this forever. But I, I do want to share, like, you help people do this work. Yes, I do. So tell, tell us about that. All right. So I've created a, um, I've created now a coaching program specifically to help people through all of the doctor, all of the doctor and medical care management stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a six month program where we would be meeting um, at least month. We would be meeting monthly for about an hour and a half and then communication by email or whatever in between. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to look at the combination of what's going on in your head and what you practically need mm-hmm. so that we can get you so we can get you to this stage of one having the right doctors yeah two having a firm diagnosis mm-hmm. three having a treatment plan <laughs> right and then like streamlining things as much as possible so you don't have extra appointments unnecessary appointments um, and things like that and so that you can feel very much in control of the journey and be able to accept the diagnosis and have a solid treatment plan for it. Mm-hmm. So like what I'm trying to do is coach the person through that whole process right. from wherever they are to at least much better right. by the end of it, because yeah. I can't promise everything's going to be perfect at the end of six months. Right. But what I, what I can promise is I'm getting you as ready as possible as you're going through it. Mm-hmm. And that, all right, let's think about your insurance. Let's think about, you know, who are you, who can you see and evaluate them? Because a big part of the evaluation process is looking around to find the little details out there mm-hmm. to figure out who's the right fit. But you first have to decide you're going to do that and you have yeah. to commit to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have to be ready to accept your diagnosis if it is right and know where to draw those lines. Mm -hmm. And so I'm prepared to have those kinds of conversations uh, to help my client to really go from overwhelmed (laughs) to I got this. Yeah. And Um, and that process, during that process, it's so easy to get stuck in your own head. Like, and to get stuck yep. in an action because of, you know, fear and like all these worst case scenarios. And I think having somebody to help reflect back to you, oh, have you thought about this or what, what's the thing behind the thing? Yep. Right. Like, I think that's really powerful. Right. 
And so that's that's what I'm trying to do with this. It's um, <clears throat> like I said, I walked my partner through this whole process um, and I went through it myself. And so I've had both of those sets of experiences. I actually mm-hmm. got my partner through two different two different health crises. Um, mm-hmm. He had a brain injury in 2012 mm-hmm. and I managed all of his care through that because he was mm-hmm. not actually able to. Right. <laughs> um, and then, um, wow, three years ago now, he, uh, he shattered his hip and we had to go through, you know, uh, we had to find the right surgeon for him that we had to mm-hmm. get, his, you know, get him tested, get a diagnosis <laughs> We had the first, I mentioned it in, my last, in our last conversation, he had an endocrinologist be like, oh, maybe he was born this way. And we're like, no, <clears throat> absolutely no. not. <laughs> so yeah, no, not, no, no. Um, yeah. And we had another endocrinologist who was able to put the pieces together enough to refer us to um, a hematologist. <laughs> mm, right. And that was how we got him diagnosed. Um, the other b- big thing for me that I found really helpful is when you're trying to deal with your diagnosis and get uh, and like get in to see the right doctor. Like once you've decided this is the doctor I need to see mm-hmm. is to flip the script and think about what will the doctor be interested in? What's mm-hmm. unique and different about my symptoms or my condition that will make me an interesting patient? Mm-hmm. And then point that out when you reach out to the doctor. Because you want to be interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. You want, let's, let's be real. Like, yeah. You want to be interesting. Oh, absolutely. Because if you're interesting or urgent <laughs> enough, that doctor is going to make you fit in. Yeah. If you're just a typical whatever and you make a call and are meek about it, they're going to put you on the end of the waiting. They're going to put you on the end of the list. Mm-hmm. You have the next available appointment, which is the official next available appointment. But there's always cancellations, adjustments, emergencies. And if you can fit into that interesting category, you can often move up in the line. Mm-hmm. Sure. So like, yeah, with my partner, I got him into, I'm so proud of this. I got him into the hematologist the next day. Yeah. Like, you know, usually going to see a specialist, it's, it can be weeks to months of waiting. Oh, yeah. I waited. Oh, yeah. I waited eight, no, nine months to see my current neurologist, um, even though I had FND. Right. And he's interested in FND. You know what I mean? Right. Like I called yeah, him yeah. and I'm like, and I have FND. And they're like, oh, wow, he'll want to see you soon. I'm like, okay, cool. And mm-hmm. they gave me two, they scheduled two appointments with him and both got canceled and readjusted. Um, but the other part of it was I was not urgent about it. Right. I, you know, I had my diagnosis. I knew it was going on. I just wanted to have a neurologist there in case something else went wrong. Right. And so I was like, Sure, I'll wait nine months, whatever. I don't care. But, you know, just to do the contrast. And basically Mm -hmm. what happened was when I called that hematologist's office and said he might have pernicious anemia, they said, okay, he needs to see a doctor right away. 
and started trying to put Al off onto, you know, somebody in an associated department who was relatively new. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, um, listen, he's 38 and has osteoporosis. And we found this out when he shattered his acetabellum. And we think the pernicious anemia is the cause. And they put me directly, as soon as I said all that, they're like, oh, put me through, <clears throat> put yeah. me through to his personal scheduler. Mm-hmm. And I left a message for her giving all those details. And she called me back at four that afternoon and said, Al could see the doctor at 10 the next morning. Yeah. 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 Now, I wouldn't have done it if we, you know, if we weren't really trying to dig and figure it out. But if you're in that urgent place, how do you make yourself look interesting, exciting, um, urgent to the doctor? Well, being completely honest, you got to be completely honest on this thing. Okay. (laughs) But how do you make yourself interesting and exciting to the doctor? And you'll get in faster. Yeah. Also ask for, you know, the other advice on that front is ask for, um, um, ask about the waiting list. A lot of offices will have cancellation lists. Oh, always ask for the cancellation list. Yep. And say, please put me on your, please put me on your cancellation list. And, and then if somebody cancels, you've got an appointment, you've got minimal notice. So if you've got, you know, a really strict schedule, it's harder, but. It also impl- it also then expresses that urgency. Mm-hmm. And you never know how far in advance somebody's going to cancel. So you just cross your fingers and hope. <laughs> yeah. So Allison, where can people find you on the internet? Okay. My, my site is Thriving Well Disabled, which mm-hmm. is www.thrivingwelldisabled.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also got uh, Twitter thriving well disable mm-hmm. <laughs> and um i've got a facebook group thriving well disabled consistency mm-hmm. right yes um and i also um have a pinterest account where i also am putting up all of my posts mm-hmm. i put out a post every friday <laughs> and she um, is consistent guys every friday <laughs> yep every I've friday got- I have put a post out every Friday since I started the blog in March of 2018. Which is astounding to me. (laughs) So I've always got a new post up every Friday and I, um, and um, like right up at the top of the thing, it it says my programs, click on that. It'll show you the different things I offer. Mm -hmm. Like I said, my big thing right now is the coaching program I'm offering, which is again, a six month uh, focused program on managing your medical care, um, which is both, you know, the mental health process and the practical. Mm -hmm. I I fully believe in mixing all of that together because mindset is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also offering support for people who are either trying to apply for disability or are on it and trying to work or otherwise go through a major life change mm-hmm. to help them make sure that they're in control of managing their benefits and not losing them unless or until they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a couple of online courses as well, but um, I'm, I'm just so excited to try to help people with all of this. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, this is it's it's a t- it's tough. The whole medical care thing and doctors and making the most of all of that is not easy. And it can take a lot of searching and and research and digging mm-hmm. to find the right options, the right specialists, the right treatment, and the right mm-hmm. diagnosis. Because sometimes <laughs> just getting the diagnosis is the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> so Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Spooniepreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends and don't forget to rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're looking to build a business that runs on word of mouth referrals, and who doesn't, head on over to www.resilientbusinesstoolkit to check out my free masterclass teaching you to build a marketing plan that drives word of mouth referrals into your inbox every month. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.